We are in the midst of this series called The Words from the Cross, the seven words that Jesus spoke while he was hanging from the cross. And today's word is the word of love. I believe that each word Jesus speaks from the cross is a word of love, but today's word deals specifically with community and fellowship and what it means to love one another. And to be honest, I think it's amazing that Jesus speaks from the cross. And we ought to come to this with heavy, broken, and humble hearts. So today is not a warm and fuzzy sermon. Today is a day in which we hear God speak to us. For this is not just any man passing away in his home. It's not just a guy who had some cool things to say. This is God himself in human form speaking as he suffers one of the most horrific forms of capital punishment ever invented. You see, when someone was dying on a cross, they'd have a nail through both feet and a nail through both hands or wrists. And to die on the cross was actually to die from suffocation. That with your arms outstretched and your body hanging from your hands, your rib cage would collapse in on itself. And so to take a breath, you must force all your weight onto the nail piercing your feet just to expand the rib cage to breathe. But then to let that air out, you must then go back to hanging from your hands. And so just to think of how hard it is to breathe. And then Jesus speaks from the cross. Not once, but seven times. We are entering into a divine mystery today. That God, who has created humanity, who has created the world, and became like his creation, is now dying. God will soon be dead. And he speaks in his day, and as he speaks, his words echo and reverberate to our time and day. So I ask, can we just pray one more time? Father, we come before you with fear and trembling. For we recognize that we are on holy ground. And so we remove our sandals. We lay our hands before you to receive, to hear, to see you today. We ask that you would break our stony hearts. That you would unplug our deaf ears. And you would open our blind eyes to see you, to hear you, to receive you as well as to see the pain around us, the broken in our midst. May your word be planted in our hearts and may it produce the fruit of action. We ask these things in your name. Amen. This is John chapter 19, verse 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. And down in verse 25, Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. 
So the scene before us is four women standing at the foot of the cross and this disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, it's most probable that this disciple whom Jesus loved is John, from whose pen we have this gospel. And Jesus sees his mother and he says, woman, here is your son. Now, to our modern ears, for a son to refer to his mother as woman sounds disrespectful. But in that day and age, it was common for men to speak to women and to refer to them as woman. So this is not an uncommon thing. In fact, Jesus has referred to his mother as woman once before. The beginning of John, chapter 2. They're at a wedding. And when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. Mary only appears twice in John's gospel, at the beginning at this wedding, and at the end at the hour of his death. And the hour that Jesus speaks of throughout John's gospel is the hour of the cross. And so it's interesting to note that Jesus says, Mary, my hour has not yet come. And now he is speaking to her again as his hour has come. And so first and foremost, we see that Jesus loves his mother. This is our first fill-in. Jesus loves his mother. It's very simple. He sees his mother and he provides for her needs by providing John for her and saying, John, take care of Mary. We might be led to ask, where is Joseph? Where are Jesus' brothers and sisters? Why does Jesus have to take care of his mother? Why can't someone else do that? The fact that Joseph, Jesus' father, has been absent since the birth narratives leads many scholars to believe that Joseph had probably died sometime in Jesus' childhood or youth. And so Mary is now a widow. But what about Jesus' brothers, his sisters? Well, John actually tells us that they didn't even believe in him. John 7, chapter, verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He did not wish to go about in Judea because the Jews were looking for an opportunity to kill him. Now the Jewish festival of Booths was near. So his brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one who wants to be widely known acts in secret. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. So here we have Mary at the foot of the cross. No husband. Her sons have abandoned her alongside of their brother. She is utterly alone. And she is watching her firstborn son die. I'm floored by the pain and the agony of this scene. That Mary, no one around her besides the woman next to her, no family, and she's seeing her son pass from life into death. I believe one of the most tragic things someone can experience is to lose a child. Because the way things normally go is that children bury their parents. But for a parent to outlive a child is painful. It's heart-wrenching. And some of you have maybe even experienced that, and my heart goes out to you. I cannot imagine the pain associated with losing your own child. I was recently in a class, and we had gone to the Getty Museum the day before, and the professor asked each of us to bring a painting that we loved and share it with the class. And one woman chose this painting of Mary 
weeping over Jesus' broken, dead body as it's being taken down from the cross. And as she spoke, she said, I feel Mary's pain, and I know Mary feels mine. And she begins to cry and says, three months ago, I lost my son. And I know Mary resonates with me, and I resonate with her. I see her pain, and it gives voice to my pain. And as she sat there and shared that and cried in front of us, we recognize in silence how hard it must be to lose a child. And so Mary here is in utter agony as she watches her son die, knowing that she may be abandoned and left alone. And so Jesus loves his mother and provides for her well-being by giving John to her. But, but also Jesus is in pain as well. So Jesus doesn't just love his mother, but he loves his mother in the midst of his own pain. This is our next fill-in. In the midst of his own pain, Jesus loves his mother. Emily Dickinson, in one of her poems, wrote, Pain has an element of blank. I love that description because when we experience pain, it feels like something has been taken from us. Whether it's emotional, physical pain, there is a void that we feel that must have some be filled, an absence. So we may either retreat from the world or we look to others to fill this void. But more often than not, when we experience pain, our gaze turns inward. We try to protect And yet Jesus addresses his mother's pain while his pain remains unattended to. He loves his mother in the midst of her pain. I'm reminded of the apostle Paul. Paul wrote many letters in the New Testament. And Paul was a man of great pain. He had been flogged numerous times, beaten, kicked out of cities, rejected by his fellow Christians, spent many, many nights in jail. And yet Paul writes some of the most beautiful words of love to churches. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 says, I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you. Paul wrote this letter from jail. And he says, I'm so thankful for you. I am praying with joy for you. Now, if I were in jail and I were writing you a letter, it would probably say something like this. Are you guys still praying for me? Get your act together. I'm still in jail. Fix this. Get me out of jail. I don't like it here. And yet John, or I'm sorry, Paul, writes these words of love and encouragement. See, Paul followed in the way of Jesus, where he loved others in the midst of his own pain. And sometimes we just need to love others in the midst of our own pain. We can go, get so consumed with ourselves that to step outside of ourselves and to love others can actually be a way in which God heals us. I'm reminded of a story of a youth pastor. He wanted to do a, a little role play with students. And so he, he set up two chairs in front of the room. One was for a student who would be hostile to the faith and provide arguments for why Christianity was not true. And the other chair would be for a student who was trying to defend the faith. And these students would act and, and play these roles. And the group would get to watch this happen. So immediately Daniel runs to the front and takes the seat of the one who is hostile to the faith. 
Another student comes up and takes the seat of one trying to defend the faith. And Daniel comes out strong and says, how could you believe that there's a God? Religion is just a crutch for the weak. You see suffering in the world. You don't know how to handle it. God isn't real. And the student tries to explain that faith is more than just a crutch, but soon gets flustered by Daniel's constant badgering. So a student raises their hand, and another student takes their place. And Daniel comes out again strong. The Bible is made up. You can't even prove its stories. All of it's a lie. You can't even, it's not true. Why do you believe this? And again, the student tried to explain that the Bible is more than just made up stories, but it's about God, and, but soon gets flustered. So another student comes up, and Daniel comes out strong again, this time no longer acting. And he says, I was born in South Central LA, one of the roughest parts of town. I was four years old. I was going to the park with my best friend. And as we're at this park, a gang fight breaks out. They start shooting each other with guns. And we watch this gunfight happen. And suddenly a stray bullet hits my friend in the chest. And I sat as my four-year-old friend is dying in front of me. Now you tell me that God is good in the midst of suffering. Why would he let that happen? The room fell silent. Suddenly Jake stood up and asked to take the seat of the one defending the faith. Now, Jake was not your model Christian. Five months prior, Jake had been arrested for burglarizing homes for drug money. He spent a month in Idaho, where for one week, he had to survive on his own wits off the nature and lay of the land. He mostly came to church to get away from his dysfunctional family. And Jake goes up, takes a seat across Daniel, faces him, and just starts staring at him. Daniel begins to feel awkward and says, what are you going to tell me, that God has a plan, that my friend's in a better place? Come on, you, gotta be- you actually believe this junk? And Jake continues to stare. Suddenly, Daniel's hardened gaze is softened as he sees tears are streaming down Jake's face. And Jake sits there and he cries. And suddenly Daniel begins to cry as well. And these two boys are weeping in front of their peers. Jake stands up, gives Daniel a hug, and they go sit down. See, I love this story because Jake loves Daniel in the midst of pain. Jake's not, life is not perfect. His life's messed up. But he looks outside of himself and he loves Daniel in that moment. See, our calling as Christians is to love recklessly in the midst of pain. Because our God did not ignore pain or avoid it. In fact, it was the way he chose to reveal his glory. That pain and brokenness is intimately woven into the divine nature. And so when others are in pain, we can sit with them and say, God is not far. He is near. He knows your pain. He is here. Our calling as Christians is to follow in the way of Jesus and to love others in the midst of our own pain. Also, not only does Jesus love his mother in the midst of his own pain, he also forms a new community of love. It's our next fill-in. When I was reading this passage, I wondered, why did Jesus choose this moment to give Mary to John? Why now? I mean, throughout Jesus' ministry, he talks about his upcoming death. You think at some point he could have said, hey, 
I'm going to die. John, take care of my mother. But no, he chooses the hour of the cross as he's hanging to speak to them. And notice, too, that he doesn't even address them by their personal names. In fact, their names are nowhere present in the passage. Verse 26, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. As I mentioned before, to refer to a woman as a woman wasn't uncommon, but for a son to speak to his mother and say woman is out of place. The fact that John's name isn't even mentioned, that Mary's name isn't even mentioned, has led some scholars to believe that what Jesus is doing here is something symbolic. That yes, he's loving for and providing for his mother, but he's also establishing a new relationship, creating new family ties, and displaying that by his power and by his blood shed, that a new family is created. So that all who follow Jesus all who claim him as their Lord are intimately connected to one another such that the best way to describe it is family. So what comes to mind when we think about family? I know I think about intimacy, provision, love, closeness, laughter. These things are absolutely ideals. We have many families that fall short of what a family is to be but it is what we are pursuing nonetheless. That our relationships with one another, we who are the body of Christ, should look like family. But we recognize too that we aren't the only ones who follow Jesus. That there are people all around your Belinda who are following him. They are our family members. And then we realize that our family extends beyond the borders of Orange County into Los Angeles, across our nation and into the world itself that we have brothers and sisters around the globe. We realize what's happening to some of our brothers and sisters causes us pain. In Yemen, if you convert from Islam to Christianity, it is punishable by the death penalty. In Somalia, while it is not illegal to be a Christian, it is not uncommon for Christians to be murdered. In China, there are more Christians in prison than in any other nation in the world. And in North Korea, there may be an upwards of 30,000 Christians in labor camps. These are our brothers and sisters. We have a calling to pray for them, to seek justice on their behalf, to see that they are freed and provided for. If you'd like to know more information about some of the persecution that is happening around the world, persecution.com, or look up Voice of the Martyrs online. They have a publication. But there are things happening around the world to our brothers and sisters. We cannot just see them as people around the globe, but we are intimately connected to them. So Jesus, through his death, forms a new community of love. There's one final thing that stood out to me as I was reading this passage, often the gospel writers will place two contrasting images or situations next to each other to draw a point. So I don't think it's a coincidence that at the foot of the cross are four soldiers and four women. And the soldiers are described in verse 23, as they took his clothes and divided them into four parts. 
one for each soldier. And 25 says, meanwhile, as the soldiers are dividing these clothes, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. These soldiers, their attitude is to take. They have taken Jesus' life and now they take his clothes from him and divide them amongst themselves. I believe sometimes that we can be like soldiers, that our approach to life is to take what we can get. That we feel threatened by others around us, so we get what we can and care for numero uno, provide for ourselves. This way of thinking can lead to pride, to entitlement. But an attitude of consumption always leaves others marginalized. That when we consume, it's going to be at someone else's expense. And so these soldiers, as they are taking, they are numbed to the pain of those around them. There are people dying above them, and they seem unfazed. To go through life taking, as the soldiers do, can numb us to the pain of others. But I believe we are called to be like the women, to stand near the cross. It's our final fill-in, to stand near the cross. To stand near the cross is to cling to Jesus. This life only makes sense in and through him when we walk with him. We follow him. But even more than just clinging to Jesus, we have to keep the cross in mind. That for us to forget the cross is to forget the way in which God revealed his glory and revealed himself. That if we forget the cross, we forget who our God is. That our God is a broken God, a suffering God. He did not come as a conquering king, but as a suffering servant. To keep the cross in our minds is to stand near Jesus and to cling to him. And also, to stand near the cross is to stand near the broken. Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable, the sheep and the goats. Verse 40, he says, the king, referring to himself, will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Mother Teresa was once asked how she could day after day after day after day love and care for the poor to wipe their brow, to hold them, to feed them. Her response was, it's not hard when I see the face of Christ in one of his more distressing disguises. There's a song I listened to a lot growing up by a band called Brave Saint Saturn. You've probably never heard of them, but one of their songs, Under Bridges, begins and says, Yesterday while walking beneath an overpass, I saw the figure of Jesus standing barefoot on broken glass. His beard was graying and the smell of urine filled the air, asking if I had some change, anything that I could spare. To love and to care for the broken in this world is to care for Jesus. And when we neglect the poor, when we neglect the broken and the hurting, we neglect Jesus. So when we stare into the eyes of a homeless man or woman, we hear their stories and we listen to them. We need to learn that we are looking into the eyes of Jesus in one of his more distressing disguises. Now, truth be told, I think this is challenging for us 
we who live in suburbia. One of the reasons why I believe suburbia was created was to get away from the poverty, the violence, the crime that plagued the city, and to create a safe haven where we could be comfortable. But as we get comfortable in this suburban lifestyle, we can become numb to the pains of the city, which is just in our backyard. And we don't want to do anything about it, so we justify it by saying we're caring for the spiritually broken. Yes, there are broken in our midst, absolutely. We are not free from the pain and brokenness of this world. But Jesus loves and cares for his broken mother while he is hanging from the cross. So what excuse do we have when we fail to do anything for those who are miles away? Our calling is to love, to do something. I implore you, let us not just hear the words of Jesus and think that they are nice. Let us do something, anything, even the smallest act. God is not looking for us to start this huge ministry. He's looking for us to love those who are poor, love those who are broken, love those who are in our midst. Because the world will know that our God is good and that he is love by our love for one another and by our love for the poor. When we neglect the poor, we neglect Jesus. So go to Long Beach. We go once every other month. We just went last week. But if you have not had a chance to go, mark your calendar and do not make excuses. And when you go, go and listen to the stories of the homeless people. Talk to them. And know that as you listen to them and as you love them, that you are loving Jesus. Urban Rescue Mission is in the heart of L.A., in the heart of Skid Row. They have hundreds of volunteer opportunities. If you want to know more of how to serve L.A., check them out. They're doing amazing things, providing for and caring for the needy. I recently met a woman who recognized that there were a lot of homeless people on the Santa Ana Canyon Trail. And so she said, I just want to try and feeding them. So one day she went out and she fed a meal. Over, I think about two years now, they've been doing it. They serve over 100 homeless people each week, Sunday afternoons. She saw a need and she did something about it. And it's now grown because God is behind her. And as she loves these homeless people, she's loving Jesus. So again, I implore you, let us not just hear these words, but may we do something about it. Jesus, as he hangs from the cross, he loves his mother. He cares for her and provides for her in the midst of his own pain. He forms a new community of love that all who follow him are tied together by his spirit. And he calls us to stand near the broken, to care for the poor in our midst. And when we care for the poor, when we love the broken, we become the community that God is forming us to be, the community of love that he established that day. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you that you spoke through Jesus to us. I pray that our hearts would be fertile soil to receive your word. 
and to do something. So God, even now, begin to stir within us what it is that you are calling each and every one of us to do. Even something small. God, I pray that you would give us the motivation, the courage to do that. To not let our comfortability get in the way of being uncomfortable. God, we thank you that you have blessed us abundantly. We thank you. You then call us to be a blessing. So may that be true of us. May you begin to form this community in such a way that when people see us, they see your love, they see your spirit, they see your presence in our midst. God, we need you. We love you. We ask that you change us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.